Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Redfern. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Florence Drummond is the CEO and co-founder of Indigenous Women in Mining and Resources Australia, or IWIMRA. As a nonprofit membership-based organization, IWIMRA aims to build a community to engage women across the mining industry. Their digital platform is designed to overcome geographical barriers with the core aim to identify gaps in career progression and opportunities to improve for Indigenous women. Furthermore, IWIMRA promotes culturally safe professional development tools, access to a community of mentors, quality opportunities, and brokering relations with key industry stakeholders. Florence holds degrees and diplomas in law, business management, and quality auditing. She joins Michelle for a conversation on her career progression in mining, highlighting the importance of cultivating a strategic network. Welcome Florence Drummond to Lead to Soar. Welcome back, dear listeners, to Lead to Soar, the podcast for the for well for all women and men who want to listen, but certainly for the members of a career that soars. Our platform for women who are serious about leadership and career. Today, I am thrilled to bits to have well, not in person. We're obviously on the end of of technology. A woman who's in Perth, my hometown. And the last time we literally bumped into each other was in Perth. 
but I'm pleased to have uh, Florence Drummond with me today and we're going to have a conversation. But let me tell you a very brief overview about Florence. I'm going to give the scripted overview. So Florence Drummond is the co-founder of Indigenous Women in Mining and Resources Australia. And she's a woman on a mission, like a lot of us. Uh, she's a woman on a mission to connect every Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander woman working in the mining and resources industry across Australia to support each other on their career journey. From her home base in Weeper, uh, which is for our non-Australian listeners, which we have many, many, many of them, Weeper is one of the most remote communities uh, in Australia. And I remember when I was working in the 3PL industry that we had to time our deliveries to Weeper with the barge when the barge went in and out. So it's a very remote um, part of the world. But Florence and her sister are rallying their sisters to share stories, connect and encourage other Indigenous women to pursue a career in the resources sector, which is massive in Australia, and which is currently, well, remains overwhelmingly male dominated. So welcome to Lead to Soar, Florence. It is super cool to have you here. Good morning, Michelle. So lovely to be here with you today. So that's the lovely overview. And that was part of something I shared on my website about you a couple of years ago, which was how we first came in contact with each other. And I remember, what's the, the title I'm going to use for this amazing woman's article I'm putting up here? And I just went, I just thought a dirty and dusty career that made her heart sing. And it was, you know, you were just breaking so many, so many stereotypes down, but rather than me keep waffling on about it, I'd love you to tell our listeners about your career that soars in your own words. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And um, so, yeah, so I'd obviously like to, um, you know, I'm so grateful to be on your show today. And I'd like to first acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I, I am today. Um, so my career started in Weeper. I was born and raised on Thursday Island, which is 600, 600 k's up the road from Weeper. But Weeper was my home for about seven years. And that was essentially the birth of Iwimra there. So I was an operator. Well, even so before mining, I was in the hospitality industry for about 10 years. Um, you know, did a lot of waitressing, a lot of events management and all of that. All the fun stuff, you know, the fun stuff that builds your interpersonal skills and, and all of that mainly in Brisbane and Melbourne. So I was down south, as you would say, for a very long time. Yep. Uh, and, and this followed my, um, my move to boarding school. So I was sent to boarding school at for high school and I never really moved back home. So I loved the city life too much. So, <laughs> so you know, I was there for a bit. Um, us, us country girls always <laughs> want to make it to the big smoke, right? We do, we yeah. do. But, you know, but it always, it is always home that calls us home, right? And, yep. um, and that was why I went home for a Christmas holiday one time and I was like, I need to come back home. You know, Melbourne's too cold. <laughs> I was down in Melbourne at the time. And I was like, how do I get home? But obviously still make the money that I'm making in Melbourne. Like, yes, I was working three jobs in Melbourne, but it still afforded me a lifestyle that I could really enjoy. So for me, it was about searching for a job in a remote community as, as in Thursday Island. And, you know, there, there were none really. So Weeper was probably the, the most closest port for us or, you know, a closest point for, for me to find a job. And that was in mining. I actually didn't know there was a mine in Weeper. Uh, didn't know many things about mining, you know, didn't know anyone that was in the industry. So it was never anything that I wanted to aspire to. All I knew really was about mining was that, you know, you go work remotely and you get paid lots of money, essentially. <laughs> you know, isn't yep. that the common perception, right? 
Yes. And yet eight years after in the industry right now, it's it's a very different story. There's there's a different interpretation of what mining life is for an Indigenous woman. So that was me. You know, we moved to Weepa. We bought a caravan in a, in a four-wheel drive and we ventured up, you know, no job or anything at that time. So we went and lived the, the caravan park for a year and a half. Um, I was honestly scared to do that. I felt very vulnerable. I didn't want to live in something that was so you know, boganish, I suppose. Um, but honestly, Michelle, it was the best year and a half of my time up there in Weepa. You met the most amazing, genuine people. It was by the beach and it was just beautiful. We had so much fun. So- it's interesting when you think about, and we'll talk about what happened then, but how often do we find ourselves in a career or in a job that turns into a career because of a whole bunch of other factors? You know, I I'd love $10 for every time a woman said to me, look, I fell into it. Mm. I kind of fell into it or it, it kind of <laughs> happened. So mining, mm-hmm. male dominated, um, ha- what did you do? So how did you kind of go, well, all right, then I'll, I'll go and get a job. But you didn't just have, you know, it wasn't the job of, you know, it wasn't the girl in the office job, was it? <laughs> No, and actually it was quite normal for women to be up on trucks there, you know, to yep. be in the operational side. So it was really comforting to know that there was so many women from different ages, you know, women who were just out of school, women who were young mothers, women who were grandmothers, you know. Yep. I really loved and enjoyed that for that to be normal and it, and it was very normal. Yeah, I remember, oh, look, there have been so many mining booms in Australia, but certainly when I was still in Perth with a, with young kids, FIFO, you know, fly in, fly out, and going up, up north, because <laughs> we were down south, um, <laughs> yeah, going up north to work was lucrative, but then it, be, it became quite um, accessible to women. And there was quite a big thing around haul pack drivers uh, and the mining companies. And it's interesting because there's a, as you said, there's a perception around mining and mining companies. And there's, well, there's lots of perceptions and it is still male dominated, but there's been a lot of really interesting shifting or, or busting of, of stereotypes. And one of those very early on, and I mean, I think this was in the 90s, certainly the early 2000s, was that women were really sought after to to drive the haul packs, those great big trucks for a whole range of reasons. So what happened when you fronted up and asked for a job as a, well, you were a machine operator? <laughs> well, it, well, it was normal. You know, uh, yep. there, there were many women that were going through the assessment centres there as well. Uh, and a lot of just different people as well from different walks of life, which is always so interesting, I think, of, of the industry itself. There are so many interesting people that work in the industry from different backgrounds. But no, it, it was it was really strange, and I think it was it was very surreal for a little while as well. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm driving a truck. You know, it was like driving a boat to start off with. I didn't quite yeah. know how to drive a boat, but um, <laughs> it was huge. But it was so inspiring. And I, I remember calling up my family and I was telling them, you know, I, I drive this big truck and this is this yep. big, and they were like, whoa, you know, and and you know, these are one of the, the smaller trucks in the industry, but. Um, you know, it was just a really different thing for my my whole family to know more about, to to see, um, you know, see my uniform and you know, see all these this different lifestyle that mining is to show them, and they were just blown away, which is so great. And I think from that point, I really realised the impact that that I have on my family and people around me directly. But then, of course, and that that grows, and you're when you're exposed to so many people or when so many people are around you and you have a really great, huge network, you know, that influence starts to be, oh my gosh, this is, you know, how do I start to use this for good? 
Yeah. Okay. So this is where this is where I I want to really talk about. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've said some some magic words there for me. So you you know you, you're demonstrating leadership within your family, your community, um, your and then you you've recognised the importance of network um, mm-hmm. and and, a str- and strategic networking, and you've also talked about influence and how you influence to, um, I guess achieve things that are really important for you and align to your personal purpose. I want to talk about leadership now, the kind of leadership styles that you observed and, and how you developed your leadership around that. So, so you're working in, in the mining industry, you're exposed to a whole bunch of different people, you're realising the the well the the benefit of networks really strong networks and you're also realizing hey I've got an opportunity to influence here who did you learn from so what leaders did you observe and what did you learn from them Mm, definitely Um, so having uh, a lot of main leaders in my uh, professional career in general but specifically in mining in my time up in WIPA I did have a very strong female leader as well which she was amazing she was so strong and you know very you know direct and yeah this is what I want and this has me done and you know but it was always with fairness as well which I thought was really admirable But going through that in terms of being within those, you know, under that leadership and with that leadership, for me, the point of difference was when one of our uh, newer superintendents came on board. So um, he was actually very impactful and influential in my, on Iwimmer itself and how Iwimmer started to grow with such momentum. But yeah, definitely, I suppose, you know, in the, in the mining industry, safety is, is a huge thing. You know, there's very stringent, rigid laws or, you know, rules around how things are done, why things are done, and also slowing things down to, you know, to get the job done. Uh, so I learned a lot from that and I continually learn from that aspect, uh, from that perspective, actually. It's interesting because um, often we talk to leaders like you about their business strategic and financial acumen and they've often had an experience in their career where someone, a leader or a mentor, has connected them with the strategic imperative of the business. And they've, they've had that realisation, hey, this is what I'm here to do. And this is my positional purpose. And it's interesting around that, you know, safety, often, you know, I've worked in a uh, well, I worked for skilled engineering for a while. So number one value is safety. Everyone goes home safe mm-hmm. at night. And that is a strategic outcome the business desires because there are obviously so many implications for non-adherence or for you know safety incidents so that person that's that superintendent that you're talking about how would you describe them and how would you describe the way they exposed you to strategy and what was important and what was important to the business Mm. And I think with that one, it was more so around, and this is when, when I remember was really growing more than anything. I think understanding the value of your human capital, like your people power, right? How do you start to empower the people around you or the, the new and upcoming leaders? And I think that was where our strength really grew, you know, where I remember really grew, but more so my professional development within the company grew. And and I didn't quite realize that at the time. I did. I guess my perspective at that time, being an operator, I still had that operator mindset where I was, you know, an operator in the bush and you know in Queensland in in a in a commodity that doesn't really you know compare to something like iron ore. Yeah. Um, so it was very. I, my mindset was very remote. Yeah. So that was always very interesting. 
So let's let's talk about iWimra then, because mm-hmm. so you're working in an organisation, but at the same time you're forming your own organisation mm-hmm. because you've identified. Well, I'll, I won't put words into your mouth, but you've identified that there's a need that you need to meet, and you've got the ability to do that. So this person's helping you. But t- tell us about iWimra. When did it? How? Yeah. What was the? <laughs> hang on a minute, I need to do this. And so how did it come about? Because, you know, you you were taking a really strong leadership role for an enormous number of, of people, women. Absolutely. And Michelle, it was the most, it was a, a really bizarre thing, right? Because it, it was a gut feeling, honestly, because mm. I thought about, okay, well, how do I start to, um, you know, how do I start to really invest all, the, all this money that I'm making essentially from my career here to invest in my future? How do I not work this job forever? And being a woman in the industry, my experience to date and really observing the women around me, especially, you know, Indigenous women and families and traditional owner groups as well, really curious around how come, you know, they're not in leadership roles? You know, how come, you know, this is the structure right now, yet we've been mining on country for a very long time? And I didn't quite know how that worked. So then that's how it started. It really started from their curiosity point of view. It's like, how do women, you know, got a lot of women here, yet yep. we still got a lot of male non-Indigenous leaders. How does that work? And, and what I really saw as well was because, you know, you spend a lot of time with these women, being a residential mine as well, you become family. You, you, you know each other's business, which yep. isn't always a good thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you start to really learn and get to know them quite well. What I found as well is just the language around, you know, like we haven't progressed or, you know, how do we, or how come I didn't get that role? It was really all that, you know, that talk or that inquiry within to say, well, how do I professionally develop so then I can be ready for these roles? But, yep. you know, how can we work together with that feeling of expectation as well or that, that really entitled mindset, you know, how do I start to break that from within the, the community also? That's so interesting. I remember a piece of career advice and it actually was quite late in my corporate career around entitlement. Mm. And the person who gave it to me, who was, and in, in his own language, I am an entitled middle-aged white man. Um, he said, Michelle, you've got to start having an entitlement mentality. You are entitled to be here. You are, you have every right to sit at this table, yada, yada, yada. So that's a really interesting concept. And if I think about the barriers that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women have compared to me, how do you shift that mindset? Mm. And but what but I want to go now actually let me go back a bit. I want I really want to know why you thought it was your job to do this. Why mm. you stepped into you put on your mantle of leadership as we call it and went, righto, I'm going to do this. Why? Why? I really love challenging myself. You know, I honestly do I really love pushing my to my own comfort zones and living up in Weeper for a very long time I lived there for about seven years that was a really long time you know it wasn't it was and it became stagnant right and these are the things that we fall into when you're living in a in a community or your comfort zone for for a very long time but yeah I, I just thought I'd give it a crack really you know I just thought okay well if this is if this is this gut feeling that won't go away that won't leave me alone then obviously yeah. I need to action it so yeah. I was like okay how do I start to do this and yeah, and, and that's when the Facebook group started. And but in saying that that leadership mantle, I didn't quite acknowledge that was my my Facebook group for a little while actually, because I was very embarrassed, you know, I was very um scared, I was very vulnerable. I didn't want to say, oh yeah, you know, that's that's our group. So it took me at least a year to say, yeah, you know, that's our Wimra, and that's what we came up with. So yeah. mm. 
So interesting. It's that um, that mindset shift, which my wonderful co-founder, Susan, and my other co-host, Mel, we talk about this. So about that mindset shift, the internal identity shift that has to occur for women to say, well, that entitlement, but I am a leader. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and leadership manifests itself at every level. So you're a, you're a machine operator, but you're leading, you're setting up and leading this amazing new group. So that identity shift had happened for you. But Mel also says, and I love it, she says, moving up begins in your own mind first. And oh, it's wow. interesting. So it took you that 12 months to go, hey, this is, this is me. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, this, this is, is my something. leadership legacy, right? Absolutely. And and I and, and within that time as well, Michelle, I was being, you know, invited to things to come and, you know, go and speak to people. And I, in my head, right, still that operation, like I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a truckie here talking to all these corporates. <laughs> I don't even know how to speak English properly. You know, like all of these things. That's interesting. Oh, it just came so very quickly. And, you know, and the thing that I really... The only thing that could keep me clear was my internal compass. Everything was happening. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, you know, if it was right, but I could afford to do it. And that's the biggest thing that I'm really grateful of for this industry as well in my career in the industry is that I could afford to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. I didn't have to wait for funding. I didn't have to wait for anything to tell me yes or no. Mm. I could just, you know, lead with, with the direction and the pace that I wanted to. Oh, so many things there. So I, I want to come back to money and salary mm-hmm. and being able to afford, like having the choices. I think that's a really important part of mapping out your career, even if you haven't necessarily mapped it out. But I want to come back to leadership. So number one, other people. So you're being asked to speak mm-hmm. and people say, I want your advice. You're a thought leader. So you are a leader externally before you've internally made that adjustment yes so that's really interesting and and that happens to many of us like oh shivers I've been asked to come and talk at a conference or I've been asked to contribute to an article or I've been oh hello selected for a UN (laughs) a UN thing in New York you know like people are going so so that it sometimes it does take a little bit of external validation to help move that along but you are open to hearing. You you clearly took up those opportunities. Absolutely. You know, I said yes to everything. And I think for me, that was like, why not? More than anything, you know, yeah. I've, I've got nothing to lose, you know, being born and raised in a community, yep. going to an amazing boarding school and ended up as a, as a waitress, you know, like what, what, the, what the hell happened there? Pretty much yeah, yeah. <laughs> more than anything. So for me, it was going back and saying, okay, well, if I wanted to start again and actually do something very proactive about my life and really you know, utilize that investment that my parents invested in my myself in education and sending me away. Um, you know, how do I do that? So it, it was really a challenge and I loved it. And I, I love challenging myself. So it's um, the you restarted, didn't you? So it, mm-hmm. I, I always think that it's never too late for anything. Um, and, you know, I, I think I'm living proof. I didn't find out what I wanted to be when I grew up until I was nearly, you know, 48. So, you know, and here I am seven or eight years later and and doing what I love. So, so you restarted, you reset and restarted um, mm-hmm. and went, okay. But if I, if I think about leadership, I know that at home where I grew up in Geraldton in WA, I had leadership in the home from mum and dad, you know, very fortunate. I had a mum and a dad and, you know, but but leadership in the community as well. They're very strong community leaders. And overlaying with that with your story, so I want to hear about your, you know, how you observed 
leadership when you were growing up, mm-hmm. but also with a, you know, a little bit of self-indulgence. I spent 2020 learning a lot more about Aboriginal women and Aboriginal women's traditions and as much as I'm allowed to and culture and that that matriarchal, you know, has such strong women in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Did you feel that growing up, those women around you teaching you about leadership and were you aware of it? Well, I wasn't aware of it, definitely not. But um, but no, that that's our culture, no, that's our family, that's our upbringing. Those are our protocols that are ingrained in us from a very, you know, from from birth. Yeah, which is so beautiful. And and it's, it wasn't un- until I really moved away and living in this, living away from home, that I actually really appreciated that community and family support that I had my entire childhood. And I think with that which is so normal for us as an Indigenous community, it's such a blessing, really. And it's such a, um, I guess, a, a mark of respect and real honour for, you know, like you said before, the matriarchs of our community and understanding how strong women actually are. Mm. Um, so it's just now stepping into that and utilising that and it, but interpreting that in my own world, if that yeah. makes sense. Mm. So there would be a lot of young women in, in your communities where you grew up and, and around Australia, a lot, lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women who'd be quite literally saying that you're an elder of the community now. You're, a, you're an <laughs> no. auntie. You're an auntie because you, you've got wisdom, right? And you've, you've taken that leadership role. So you'd be, I kind of want to talk about, keep talking about the way we form our views about leadership. And you've talked about your internal compass and your you know, which aligned to this purpose, which is why our Wimmera started and, and continues to flourish. So who who had the most influence on you, whether it's growing up or through that early part of your career, whether it's in mining, whatever, but who would you say was a mentor or a champion that had a lot of influence and how did that transpire? Mm. I honestly think I've got a lot of women mentors that I look up to. Um, and again, they'd, they'd be my own family, you know, aunties and grandmothers and older, you know, older sisters and cousins in the, in the community. I think their strength, like their strength and their practices really are the things that I get, guess motivate me. But in terms of like a professional mentor, you know, there's, an, there's amazing ladies now in a professional career that I absolutely look up to. So I'm really blessed to have a community of mentors and influences as well. Yeah, which would be amazing. And just and to respond, I suppose, to your comment before, like I'm definitely a, an auntie, a physical auntie to all of my siblings. We've got about 16 nieces and nephews, yep. but still very young in my in my leadership journey from a community perspective. So we've got many, many wise people before me. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, that's one of the things, one of the many things I just so admire about you and really appreciate is your humility as well, which is such a, a big part of that rounded you know, leadership. What we say is leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others, which you've just talked through in, in a roundabout way in, in what you're doing. So let's talk about Awimra. How does it you've talked about starting it. So you've got this North Star, this purpose, right? I want to really serve the community of women that I'm in and help them achieve, amongst other things, financial well-being or financial and economic security. How do you, how have you gone about that? And how do you continue to help or make our women grow 
and flourish. So what's your strategy or how do you, mm. you know, what's your approach to strategy? Yeah, amazing question. And, and so relevant right now because we're currently transitioning from a from what we are as a social network into a non-for-profit. So again, this whole OMRI has been a very steep learning curve on, on many levels. So myself in terms of building a my capacity as a leader, as a CEO, as a, you know, as a business person, yeah. and then structuring this entity as well to be the most usable tool for both industry, community, and, and other stakeholders that are out there. So 2021 is very exciting for us. We're, we're opening up formal membership to our members. Uh, so transitioning all of our 6,000 members that are on Facebook or, you know, our supporters on Facebook to invite them across to be members as well within our actual corporation. So from there as well, we really would like to think about, well, what's the skill sets of, what are the skill sets out there of Indigenous women that are in the industry, you know, and not assuming that we're all, you know, unskilled or didn't go to university like myself or anything like that. There's a lot of amazing people in the industry that are from excellent backgrounds that their skills haven't been utilised to their best ability yet. So we really want to showcase that. There's many opportunities for Indigenous people in this sector. So how do we start to match that up as well so people feel their full value when they come to work? Because that then creates a community of diverse leadership, but also diversity of thought. But then it also um, keeps them in work as well. You know, if you feel valued in any workplace, then you're going to keep on coming to work. And from um, from the workplace's perspective, what is the, I suppose, the approach to... I could name half a dozen of the of the big resources companies in Australia, but how do you get them on board? What's the mm. you know, what's the hook? I suppose. <laughs> well, there's a lot of appetite for that at the moment. It's a, it's been a natural progression with the whole conversation around inclusion and diversity being so strong. It's also for us as I we making sure that we also we have that Indigenous perspective and that Indigenous voice there as well for Indigenous women, but also our communities as well. So that's been a really good, a good indication that workplaces are, are doing their very best as well to try and understand what Indigenous engagement looks like. Naturally, for us to promote Indigenous women within the workplace, we've had to work with workplaces as well, so companies as well. So that's another thing that we'll be transitioning into in 2021. So it, it kind of comes hand in hand. You, you really want to build the capacity of Indigenous women to be competitive and remain in the industry and contribute to the industry but then it's the other part is preparing workplaces as well and understanding that we have to work together Mm. Um, and and it takes two to 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 make it work Um, and of course as well are reflecting on Drakon Gorge and everything last year as well which is always important taking learnings from that as well and how do we actually work together for a much more sustainable future with that. You're listening to Lead to Soar. Find information on upcoming events and learn how to join the network at leadtosoar.com. There was such a, a, a national outcry and for, for our non-Australian listeners to this podcast, one of the major mining companies destroyed some irreplaceable Aboriginal artefacts and, and a site, um, which was just bit beggared belief for anyone who's well I would hope it would beggar belief for everyone but it was such a, a horrible example of when corporations don't get it right and don't engage the greatness in everyone in others in all of the others um, and the others being that you know the stakeholders employees the traditional landowners the communities 
that they're in. And I certainly think that, you know, that piece for you in helping women enter those workforces, but also to, to be able to reach their potential in that workplace, as well as that workplace realise the full potential of those women is, is absolutely remarkable. And it's a terrific story. I'm going to follow it as I do with Glee. So let's talk about the language of business. You're fronting up to, well, actually, uh, let me do, well, you front up to a lot of different rooms, albeit <laughs> virtual at the moment. So you've, you've been a delegate for the Australian government to the UN. You've been on the Minerals Industry and Indigenous Partnerships Community Practice and, of course, IWIMRA and many, many more. So there's a language that goes with being in boardrooms and being, well, in the rooms that the UN's in and, and things like that. How did you learn that language? And, and I say this with the greatest respect because I'm also a woman who, or girl at the time, who left school at 15 and had to learn what the language of power was, the language of business. How did you learn the language of business, what to say, when to say it and how to say it in those, in those environments? Mm, a lot of listening, definitely. A lot of listening, observing and, and coming from that space of, okay, well, how do I participate here but contribute with the most impact more than anything? Yep. Um, using that passion and that knowledge because, you know, and, and I guess for me that perception, when I was invited to all these things, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't, I don't know anything about this industry or this space. Um, I know what I'm passionate about. I don't know what they want. At the end of the day, it is about your perspective that you bring. You know, it's that knowledge that you bring to that. Uh, in terms of language, it's something that I'm very passionate about as well. I did study, I did go to university as well and did study, you know, around UNDRIP and, you know, the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People and things around the title as well. Uh, so I was, off, I was very passionate about those things. So that language, I think, was a really nice refresher of, okay, this is how the dialogue works now. This is how this whole operation functions more than anything. It was very surreal to be at these places. I really loved it. It felt just so amazing. I think, you know, when you have your childhood dreams around what you want to be when you grow up and you, there's so many, you know, avenues or dreams that you have and it was nice to experience this. But the language for me, I'm always growing, always learning. I learn a lot of many people around me, but I also actively learn as well and but also, you know, there is a point there as well, Michelle, where you need to realise that you also bring value and knowledge to the table. I think at that point, you can actually utilise these forums um, and really leverage that as well. I like that expression, actively learn. So you went back to university a little bit later on, didn't you? Or you went to university a little bit later on. So you made a decision why did you, well, I won't say, why did you make that decision to go to uni? <laughs> well, it was because everyone else was doing it. I didn't finish university, you know, and that's something that I was always very kind of concerned about. I thought, you know, I couldn't be competitive, especially in this business corporate world because I didn't have a degree. But I'm, I'm learning now more often to say, well, there's so much more, there's different types of knowledge that you can yep. bring in. Life experience is a huge teacher, you know, mm -hmm. and the gap between what you learn at university, yes, it's principle and it's Bible, but application of that in the real in the real world and on the ground, it's very it can be uh, very different. So the other piece from that is I I really appreciate that you've talked about you've observed people, you've listened to them, you've taken what you've needed from that, and use that as part of your active learning. So you've you've got a, a mindset around continually developing. But the bit I really really appreciate is 
you've got something to offer and moving beyond that, well, I don't want to say imposter syndrome, but it's more that you're moving from, I don't quite know why I'm here with, to I actually have something to contribute here and I'm really confident in it because it's it's in my heart, it's in my head and I know what I'm talking about. And because I've, I've taken time to listen and learn and observe other people, I know how to translate that and, and talk to people in the language that they can understand. Mm, absolutely. And the biggest thing as well for me, Michelle, moving forward is bringing more women along to these things as well. So yep. last year we were due to bring up to 17 women with us to New York to CSW, mm. but of course COVID prevented that. So for me, that's the biggest difference because us in communities and on the ground, we don't understand the impact of things. We don't understand how we influence the things around us through our everyday living. So all of our community rules, all of our policy and procedures that we have on the ground, where does that come from? And I've been very fortunate enough to be at the, at the level where it's made to understand, okay, well, if we get more women here or in des- decision-making roles here or exposed to this area here, then we can understand how we influence our everyday lives, right? And then we can think about and say, well, it's not, I'm not blaming them anymore or they, mm. it's about me and how I can impact my own life. You've said a magic word. So we talk about cake and pie mentoring. So strategic mentoring is pie mentoring, So which is stands for understanding the performance of the business, your image as a leader and exposure to decision-making and decision-makers. You've nailed it with the exposure there, giving... So you are mentoring, strategically mentoring women because you're bringing them into those environments, into those, well, those rooms where decision makers and, and performance and, and is discussed. And when they become exposed to that, I could imagine that just like when you were first exposed to it, they can have that mindset shift. They can have that, oh, I do belong here. Yes. I, I can contribute um, because I, I now understand the process and the policies and the decision making and decision makers, how this all works. So it's a really important part of mentoring that often is overlooked, particularly for women. We know that women are mentored to give them lots of encouragement and confidence and things like that, but are not often mentored enough to give them exposure to absolutely the guts of the business, the business of the business, irrespective of whether it's a mining company, the UN a diversity inclusion consultancy, whatever it may be, it's it's giving them that exposure. Absolutely. Um, and oh sorry, and I was just no, gonna, no, go on. Yeah, I was gonna tag onto that to say that, you know, every time that say for example, when you mentor someone, it's your interpretation of your experience. But if you give that person the experience, they go away with their own interpretation. That is Ooh, the most yeah, valuable like thing. Yeah. And that that's the change for them, you know. Yeah. It's that practical learning, you know, yes. you can show, oh sorry, you can teach or you can tell, I should say, or you can show and then get Mm -hmm. them to practice. And I I think it's it's a terrific way to look at it. And that's a great thing for mentoring as well. It's mentoring month at the moment in a career that soars and in the US. Um, So we're recording this in January for the listeners who'll probably listen to this in February, but mentoring is, is super, super important. And in saying that it's I always, I get very frustrated about mentoring because it's, it's a bit of a tick the box throwaway buzzwordy kind of thing yeah let's get a mentoring program for women but I always say that women are over mentored and under promoted and mm-hmm. you know we've got to get them strategically mentored so get them ready so who's the next Florence and you know get her ready uh, to be the CEO of IWIMRA and that's the stuff that you're doing by giving them this strategic mentoring so let me go to our our standard 
questions, which is your advice to, to our listeners. What are your secrets to having a career that soars? So the lessons that you learned by trial and error. Hmm. Well, I suppose it for me, it was it's definitely different concepts for different phases of my leadership. You know, my early on I was it was say yes to everything, you know, show up more than anything. I think show up, whether it be showing up to, you know, a, a free gig at a, at a school in terms of going and spending time with school students uh, into, or, you know, flying down apartment house and doing a presentation there. Uh, so for me, it was always say yes and yep. show up. Secondly, is to trust your, you know, trust your instincts, trust your internal compass. That led me through the most thickest of, not confusion, but that abundance of opportunities that led me in the right direction. And what would be my my third one? It would really, really come back down to, you know, aligning things to your own values. So if it's your values around your family, if it's values around your culture, know that that's very valuable and very authentic to to who you are as a, with your character as a leader as well. Strong advice, strong advice. Now, if you were, this is a big question because uh, it's about saying, well, what are the words of wisdom that you would pass on to an aspiring woman who's listening? Now, she could be aspiring to a whole bunch of different things. I, I don't want to put, just like you don't put limits on things. I don't like to limit or put labels or boxes on, on women. But if she's aspiring to something, what's your word of advice to her? Mm, I would say, you know, really flex that network. So reach out to every single person in that field reach out to every single leader there be known you know be proactive to be known oh I love it I love it all right so we've talked today about well a couple of times about networking and influence and how important it is to identify your network and then use your influence you've talked about how you have a set a strategy and achieve the outcomes with your strategy. You've talked about how leadership has manifested itself at every stage of your life and your career, but your leadership manifested itself and was often running before you accepted it, but then you accepted it, which I, I found really, really terrific. And authenticity is very, very a well-used term now, but so authentic, Florence. It's like, well, everyone else is telling me I'm a leader. I guess I am. And you were (laughs) because you were off and running before you accepted it yourself. So that's cool. I really appreciated hearing about the fact that you stopped to reflect and say, hang on, I need to restart here. I kind of need to start again and think about where I'm going and what I'm going to do. You have been in service to your community and that's threaded through everything that you do. You listen, you learn, but that advice around doing stuff, different stuff at the different stages of your career, but always say yes at the start, show up, trust your internal compass and align to your values is is terrific. And so important because often when you put that in the context of the abundance of opportunities that come your way, how do you choose align it to your purpose or align it to your values or both preferably. But if you're really in doubt, if you're feeling a needle of, oh, I don't know if this is right, it probably isn't. And that's mm-hmm. your values talking to you. So get really get in touch with it. And of course, again, flex your network and be known. And well, you're known, Florence, you're, you're known <laughs> to me and you're known to your community, but you're known to, to many, many people across Australia and the world for the work that you do. I think that 
without sounding too sucky, you are amazing. You're a woman who is having a lot of influence. Uh, You're a woman who's very clear about the legacy she wants to leave uh, for women, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women in particular. But gee whiz, you're inspiring women all over the place. And I know that the women in a career that soars and the women who listen to Lead to Soar will be inspired by your story. From Thursday, little girl on Thursday Islander to waitress to machine operator to CEO. I mean, what a what a cool story. Thank you so much for sharing today. Michelle, thank you so much. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for the opportunity. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.